And he really does that here in John chapter 4 when he tells us step by step, by example, how to help somebody come to faith in Christ. As we've been considering this uh, wonderful chapter of, of Scripture, we've looked at several of the parts and the pieces, if you will. Um, one of the things that's amazing to me is how much, when we stop and think, these are two of the first, uh, John 3 and John 4, are two of the first times we hear Jesus personally talking to an unbeliever, trying to help them come to faith in Christ, and how much doctrine is involved, how much significant Bible content is involved in his expression to them. And we go to these chapters lots of times for different doctrinal truths, but we don't often stop and say, let's look at the whole process of how a person comes to Christ. And that's what I want to do today, by God's grace, to just look at the broad stroke of this chapter. And in order to do that, we need to read the story again to get it in our minds, starting in verse 6 of John 4. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and she said, he said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living, living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, and the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men of the city, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. 
Therefore his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I have sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ witnessing to a woman who needs to know him. What has to happen? What has to happen if a person is going to come to faith in Christ? Well, first of all, there must be a caring believer. And very simply, a caring believer shares Christ. At some point in the discussion of carrying the gospel of Christ to the people of Ferndale or Custer, or Blaine, or Bellingham, or Laurel, or, or Sandy Point, or Lummy Island, or wherever it is you live, at some point in that discussion, we have to ask this question, do you care? Do you care for people who don't know the Lord enough to tell them about the Lord? I know that's kind of a harsh question. It's a true, it's a good question, and, and you know how I, I like to try to be uh, encouraging, but you know, we have to ask that question. Do you care? Hallmark Cards has a slogan to motivate you to buy their cards, which says, Hallmark Cards, when you care to send the very best. They have little ads where people turn them over and look to see if it's a Hallmark card. I got news for you, folks. <laughs> The Hallmark cards don't matter nearly as much as somebody's soul. Do you care enough to share Christ? Do you care enough to try? You know what? You're not going to do it perfectly. You know how I know? Because you're human. And because you aren't Jesus Christ. I would presume Jesus Christ did it perfectly. And I don't say that tritely. But I would presume you won't. But does it matter? What matters is that you care and that you try. There's a song from years ago that puts this together well when it says, If not in you, I wonder where Will they ever see the one who really cares? If not from you, how will they find? There's one who heals the broken heart and gives sight to the blind. Cause you're the only Jesus some will ever see. And you're the only words of life some will ever read. 
So let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need. Because you're the only Jesus some will ever see. I got news for you. It's not any easier for me to share Christ with people than it is you. Many times. Many times. It's easy when they come in the office. They're on my turf. They come in this, come in this room right here. I can let her go. But when I get out there at the subway or the wherever, it's a challenge for me too. But we've got to ask ourselves, do we care? Can you imagine Christ sitting at this well and he's sitting there and he wants a drink of water and when this woman comes and says, woman comes along and he says, would you give me a drink? And then she, she talks to him and he goes, hey lady, would you give me a drink? Can you imagine him doing that? Can you imagine him thinking, oh, I just want a drink. Just one time, I want to come to the well and get a drink. No, because he cared so much. Do you know the name Christian? That's Christ with you on the end of it, right? I mean, <laughs> we're call our, we call ourselves Christians. We've got to care for those who have not yet believed. We've got to care. Caring believer shares Christ. Secondly, a caring believer sees like Christ. We've certainly talked about this at length before, but we need to review it because it's so important in this process. Why didn't Jesus become frustrated and and let his his tiredness and his thirst overcome him? I think it's because of, of these kind of thoughts. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because... They were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I think he always saw people as in spiritual need. Not not that he was constantly thinking poorly of them, more so he just saw their heart and he could tell what was really going on inside of them. He had compassion for this woman. In this particular case, he didn't see the woman like the rest of the world saw her. Clearly, a woman with five husbands, and now she's living with the guy. In our day and age, you know, we call that woman a movie star. In her day and age, that was scandalous. It was terrible. But he didn't think of her that way. He saw her as a woman with a soul who needed the Lord. He didn't see her from a Jewish eye, looking at her at the Samaritans and how much the Jews hated the Samaritans. He didn't see her that way. I took my sermon notes in one of their earlier forms before they were final with me to lunch. Sometimes when I get out of the office, my creativity and my vision for my sermon increases a little bit. And I went to Subway and had a sandwich and intended to sit there and work on my notes, which I did. Saw Rod Brudwick, not looking like the handsome svelte guy he always does here, but looking like an average guy there, walking in. Um, But somebody else walked in before Rod, and I'm here to tell you, when I looked at them, all I thought was judgmental, negative, ugly thoughts. While I was working on this very point, 
but it took me a while to get the point God was trying to get across to me. Kind of look, you know, you, you don't want to stare, right? Just wanted to go, man, you are messed up. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way I'm thinking. I think, oh man, look at that. How do I see people? Jesus looked past, not only with this woman, but with every person he saw. He looked past the disgusting and the disheartening, the shocking and the sad, to the lostness of the person. He said, they're sheep without a shepherd. You know what a sheep is without a shepherd? It's a lost sheep. Because it will not find its way home wagging its tail behind him. Not like a cow that always comes to the barn at night. Sheep won't do that. He saw her as a sheep without a shepherd because she had not embraced Christ yet. A caring believer sees like Christ. Thirdly, a caring believer witnesses for Christ. Look at verse 29. And I hope you can get a hold to today the difference between witnessing and teaching because you need to do both. But witnessing is what this woman does in verse 29. She runs back to town. She leaves her water pot. She didn't even get any water. She just gets so excited about Jesus. She runs back to town, and what does she say? Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Now, when a woman like that comes into town talking like that, some of the men are scattering. They're thinking, I hope she doesn't start going into detail here. But basically, she comes back and she's saying, look, this guy might be the Christ. He did this for me. He looked into my heart. She goes back and tells what she experienced. That's what witnessing is. Look at verse 41 to 42. And many more, this is the end of the story, many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said. In other words, she said enough to them to cause them to either believe or to want to believe. She told them enough about her interchange with Christ that they, that they came out to see for themselves. Now we believe not because what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. A witness is a person who tells what they know to be true. I was called to testify in a court case once, and all they were interested in was my exact observation, what I personally heard. They weren't interested in my opinion. They weren't interested in my, my subjective evaluation. They said, what did you see? What did you hear? And my actual time on the witness stand was about that long because all they wanted was the facts. Do you know what the facts are of witnessing for you? It's what Christ has done in your life. It's what he means to you. It's what he meant to you when you came to faith. It's what he means to you today. It's not hard for me to, to talk to people about coming to know the joy and peace of God. That's, that, that's my biggest burden as I look around at people that are, that are 
really struggling in life, I'm thinking, man, God could give you his joy and his peace. And the reason I know he could give it to you is he gave it to me. That's what witnessing is. And maybe telling some specific story about how God has brought joy and peace or, or whatever it is that, that means something to you. Maybe, maybe you've known the Lord such a short time that you have a real, a real concept of forgiveness and to have that load of guilt taken off. And you can say, man, you know, my life used to be this way, but I put my faith in Christ and now my life is this way and I am so glad. That's what witnessing is. Witnessing isn't preaching some big sermon. It's not going through a little booklet. It's just saying, this is what Jesus did for me. That's what this woman did. A caring believer witnesses. There's a great example of this in John chapter 9. I love this. So they said, uh, this is the Pharisees and a man who was healed and Jesus in this story so they, the Pharisees said again to the man who was blind, and they, they, they called to him, and they said, Give God the glory. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. They were trying to somehow blame Jesus in this process for making him out to be a bad man. He answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. You know what? If you're talking to a person of some religions, they might debate to you whether Jesus is the Son of God. You talk to some other religion, they'll debate with you whether or not Jesus was the only Son of God. You talk to some other religion and they'll say, well, I don't know if he died for their sins. And you got all these theological debates. One thing I know, once I was blind, now I can see. Once I was angry now i am joyful once i was addicted now i am set free once i was whatever but now i know and i'm telling you that's what jesus did for me and i'm telling you that's what he promises to do for you that's what witnessing is it's just telling what god has done for you and you know what people can't argue with that they can't look you in the eye and say god didn't do that they can't. They can't argue. They can argue with the Bible. They shouldn't, but they can. But they can't argue with your experience from God. A caring believer witnesses. They tell what God has done. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when, I used to, when I was a chaplain for the police department, the fire department, I would just go visit those different buildings and just walk in and just you know, be friendly and try to get to know people. And the firefighters especially, you know, they would be sitting around, say, waiting for a call. And I would walk in and they'd say, what do you know, preacher? And I'd say, well, I know lots of things. And they'd go, okay. Because <laughs> I would have told them. What do you know? A caring believer witnesses for Christ. Fourthly, a caring believer declares God's word. I hope you can get a hold of this today because there's, there's a difference between declaring God's word and defending God's word. And I think it's important. Uh, throughout this passage, Jesus is teaching this woman God's truth. And we're not going to review them all, but just to highlight them, you know, he says such things as, there is living water that can satisfy your soul. That's one of the truths that he enunciates. He says, I am the one who can give you that living water. He talks about himself. Do you know what? Just as a little bit of a sidelight here, in verse 26, 
this is one of the few people other than the apostles, maybe the only one outside of the disciples who became the apostles that Jesus looked right in the eye and said, I am the Messiah. He didn't tell a lot of people that. You know why? Because he didn't want them to take him by force and make him king. And we think, what's it mean to take him by force? It means that they would, they would ride into Jerusalem and say, this guy is our king. Caesar's not our king anymore. And he didn't want that because he was after a spiritual revolution first and the political one comes later. But to this woman he said, she says when when Messiah comes, he's gonna explain everything to us and Jesus says, I am he. He literally says, I am. Wow, he taught a lot of things to her. He taught her that there is only one way to worship or relate to God. I'm sorry, Christianity is an exclusive religion. And I, I guess humanly speaking, it would be nice for me to get up and say, just worship God any way you want, you know, relate to God as you know him, on and on with the standard line. I'm sorry, folks, there is only one way to worship God, and that is in spirit and in truth, and, and part of that means coming to Christ as your Savior. Jesus taught that to the woman. He also taught the woman that she had a sin problem. When he said, go get your husband and bring him here, he knew what the outcome was going to be. He was not surprised by that. He did that so that the woman would come to grips with the fact that there was a sin problem in her life. And so he, he declared a lot of truth to her. And one of the things that we need to understand that Romans 10 tells us is we have to declare God's truth to people if they're going to come to Christ. How then shall they call on him? How will they ever come to a point of saying, I believe in Jesus as my Savior? How will they do that in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in, whom, in, him, who have they, in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, I know you're looking at that last word going, yeah, Dave, that's your job. You're the preacher. But that's not what it means. It's not talking about professional ministers. The word for preach in the New Testament, the often translated preach, literally means to, to herald or to declare something out. The word preacher means herald. You can think of maybe some movies of, of days gone by that you've seen where the king has a word to get out. And he has a guy called a herald. The her- that's, you know, that's part of the reason why the Bellingham Herald is called that. It is a way of disseminating information. The herald was the way of disseminating. The king would say, go down and tell everybody that on uh, you know, Thursday there's going to be a parade or, or whatever it is. And the herald would go down and say, everybody, the king has something to tell you. And that's what he'd do. He, he announced the word. Now, did the herald make up the messages? No, he did not. It was the king's truth. Did the herald have to defend the message? No, he did not. All he had to do was declare the message. All of the power, all of the authority resided with the king. If somebody did not, did not obey the message, the herald didn't have to go around and enforce it. The king would enforce it. God tells us to herald the truth. What does that mean? What it means is you declare it. You say, this is God's truth. And why is that enough? It's enough because 
A caring believer trusts in God's power to save. I don't make converts. God makes converts. I have to declare the truth. That is my job. It is my job to tell you that that you are a sinner, that you have done acts of sin, and because of that, you are under the condemnation of God. But Jesus came and died for your sin, so his shed blood takes away your sin so that you can be forgiven and God will not have to punish you and when you die you can go to heaven and right now you can have a new life. And I have to tell you that you need to believe that message. You need to admit that you're a sinner. You need to embrace Christ as your savior. You need to receive the gift of God. That is me declaring the message. Can I prove any of that scientifically? No. Do I need to? No. Do you know why? Because God brings it home to the heart. And when he has come, he will convict the world of righteousness, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who is the he? It's the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. So we trust in God's work. We share the truth and we don't go away frustrated. Oh, we might go away disappointed. I've been sharing with someone the last couple of weeks and I, I just think, man, you are so close. Why don't you just believe in God? Why don't you just put your faith in Christ? Why don't you just give up this fight? But ultimately, it's God's job. It is my job to declare the truth and then to rest in God. John MacArthur says about Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus' conversation with this woman was not forced, hurried, or manipulative. He said, look, this is the truth. And she came to faith. So there must be a caring believer. Secondly, if a person is gonna come to Christ, there has to be an honest unbeliever. Now, I'm not trying to infer that all unbelievers are like dishonest and corrupt and shady. I'm not saying that. But in regard to spirituality, I'm talking about honesty in the unbeliever. And the honesty first must be about need. When Jesus said to her, I can give you living water, she didn't say, I do not need living water. She didn't say, you Jews think you know it all. She didn't say, just like an arrogant man, to think he's got it all together. When Jesus said, here is something that could fulfill your life, she said, bring it on. And frankly, the only way that a believer can really become honest about their need is is as God starts to work in them. And so we ought to pray that people would see their need. If you're here today and you've never come to faith in Christ, I would challenge you to honestly look in your heart and say, I need Christ, to be honest about that. Living water will be received only by those who realize they are spiritually thirsty. An unbeliever must be honest about their need. They also must be honest about their spiritual condition. When Jesus said, go bring your husband, what did she say? Verse 19, or excuse me, uh, 
Verse 18, or uh, backing up a little farther. Verse 17, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you've spoken honestly. And then in verse 19, she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She goes, there's something different about you, buddy. (laughs) But she didn't say, you can't judge me. You don't know how hard it is to be a woman in Samaria. She said, guilty as charged. She just said, you know what? I'm tired of, I'm tired of fooling around here. I'm just going to admit that I'm a sinner. And, I, and if you're here today and you've never embraced Christ as your Savior, I would just say, look, just be honest. No, you're not as bad as your neighbor. You're probably not. I hope you're not. Maybe you're not as bad as somebody else sitting here. But it doesn't matter. You need to just say, you know what? I am a sinner. Jesus knows your heart. You know that, don't you? You you can tell me you're not that bad of a person. I, I can't tell. But God knows your heart. Be honest about your spiritual condition. But Paul declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. The word repent in the scripture means to change your mind. And there are several things you need to change your mind about, and one is that you're a sinner. You will not be able to come to Christ if you do not recognize the fact that you are a sinner. You have done things that are wrong. You have to admit that, and that's a tough thing to do. We all like to be capable, handle our world, you know, but to say, you know what? I am a sinner. And we also need to repent it's kind of interesting the word repent also kind of means to turn around but there's two different words used there together and it basically it's like a it's like going the opposite direction you know used to be thinking i'm i'm okay i'm not that bad and you know god's up there in the sky and i don't need him now turn around and say i am a sinner jesus is the savior there is no way i can ever save myself repent turn to god do the works befitting repentance what are the works befitting repentance? Well, one of them is, is what we're going to come to in a minute about honestly saying, I put my faith in Christ, to verbalize that, to acknowledge that. There's a third area of honesty for the unbeliever. Honestly, an honest unbeliever must honestly seek to know God's truth. He must honestly seek to know God's truth. Um, listen to Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's a difference between not knowing the truth and suppressing it and holding it down. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's two places where you can get some knowledge of God, and one of them is in creation, and that's partially what this is talking about. He's saying, look, if you stop and meditate on the universe, you should come up with a conclusion that there is some intelligent force at work here. 
But the next step is the critical one. What do you do with that knowledge? Well, according to this passage, there are some people who say, oh man, I don't want to have to deal with God. I'm going to pretend like I just didn't figure that out. I'm going to suppress that. I'm going to hold that down. I'm going to argue for the chance arrival of our world at its present condition called the evolution. I'm, I'm going to say there is no God. I'm going to argue against God. And then anytime somebody tells me something that I think is true, I'm going to hold it down. I'm not going to acknowledge it. It occurred to me about a week or two ago as I was praying and meditating, thinking about some people, that nobody, once an unbeliever comes to hear the truth, they are no longer an unbeliever by accident. They are an unbeliever by purpose. They are working at staying outside of Christ. And they'll throw up objections and and throw up all kinds of problems, but they're working to stay out. It's not an accident. It takes effort to be unsaved and to stay unsaved. If you've attended our church any length of time and you've not come to faith in Christ, I guarantee you, Verse 20, that you will be without excuse before God. An honest seeker reads the Bible. Are you telling me you're seeking to know God, but you're not reading the Bible? Well, then what God are you trying to know? (laughs) Don't tell me you're a seeker. Don't tell me you're trying to come to faith in God. Nah, not if you won't open the book that tells you about God. Maybe, you're, maybe you should be more honest and say, I'm trying to get to know God as I define him. But an honest seeker will read the Bible. An honest seeker will ask questions of knowledgeable Christians. You may have some questions. I was talking to a fellow this week, and after I witnessed to him a little bit, he immediately asked me how old the earth is. Okay. Well, I'm going to presume he's an honest inquirer, and he's trying to ju- rectify or... Uh, reconcile what science says with what the Bible says. And so I I did my best to explain that to him. But if you have questions and you're not coming to a knowledgeable Christian to get those answered, you're not an honest seeker. An honest seeker is looking for answers, not roadblocks. In other words, they're not trying to find a reason not to believe. They're just trying to have their questions answered. Sue and I have a new acquaintance that I've told her, I said, you know, I'd like to go to that acquaintance and say, you better watch out. You're going to fool around and become a Christian. Right now, they're really kind kind of a convinced unbeliever. But they're really warming up to us like we haven't seen before. And and I thought, you know, God's at work in you. Because people don't hang around preachers. Only weird people do that. There must be a caring believer. There must be an honest unbeliever. And thirdly, if a person is going to come to Christ, there must be a point of reception. Jesus said, as many as received... God says, as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Um, When Jesus says to this woman, verse 26, I 
who speak to you am he. At that moment, he basically pressed it home to her and said, lady, I'm the guy. We don't read of what went on in her mind, but at that point, she either had to run to town and say, hey, the Messiah is here, or she had to say, nice meeting you, fella. You know, that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw miracles and heard him teach. What did they do? They got together in a huddle and said, now, how could we kill him? There has to be a moment of decision. There is a necessity of a, de- of a decision. Jesus says, look, I'm the guy. Do you believe it or not? Listen from 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul said to the Corinthians, I went there, I preached the truth to you, you received the truth. There must be a moment of reception. These things are written in the past tense. They had already received the truth. John 1.12 that I just quoted, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. There has to be a moment of reception. Have you ever heard this phrase? Not to decide is to decide. If I say to you, Jesus died for your sins and he requires you to receive that, to believe in him, to acknowledge your sinfulness, and I say, will you do that now? And at that point, you make a decision. Now, what you may say to me is, well, uh, you know, I'd like to think about it. You know, It's America, you can do as you please. But you need to understand, you're either deciding for Christ or not for Christ. Now you may have a question. You may need to have some scriptural, uh, you have some questions need to be answered, and we would love to do that. But if I say, will you believe now, the answer is either yes or... (laughs) Now you can say not now, but not now is not yes. Not to decide is to decide. There is a necessity of a decision. Maybe you were raised in a church that taught that you know you need to be have some water put on you as a baby, and you need to go through some classes and some rituals as a young person, and, and you need to follow this kind of list of rules, and if you do that, you're okay. And yet the church is teaching Jesus died for your sins, and they're teaching you some of those truths. I'm here to tell you the scripture says you must come to a point in your life where you say, I am a sinner, I receive the Savior. No matter what's gone on in the past, there has to be. And according to 1 Corinthians, even if you can't point to that day, that moment in which you believed, you should be able to say, I am standing in that truth. I am standing in the truth. I know Christ. I I don't know when it was, you know, it kind of came on me gradual, and I know that's not exactly how it happened, but at some point I must have believed, because today I believe in Christ. There has to be a decision. There has to be a standing in the gospel of Christ. 
The point of reception also is evidenced by some things. What is the evidence of a decision in this woman's life? First of all, there is a confession of Christ to others. A confession of Christ to others. The first thing she does when she, she hears that Jesus is the Messiah is she runs to tell her friends. Obviously, they must have been talking about the Messiah in their, in their worship and so on. They must have been looking for him. It was a big deal. She confessed Christ to others. Romans 10.10, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. One of the authors that I read this week made the observation that we are not saved by the verbal confession, but we make the verbal confession because we have been saved. And I think that's absolutely accurate. This, this scripture leads me to believe that both of these things go hand in hand. You in your heart have to say, yes, I receive Christ. Yes, I am a sinner and so on. And then if that transaction takes place, you should be like the woman at the well who says, hey man, I, this is the greatest thing just happened to me. Now I know it still may be hard to share, but there should be that urge, there should be that opportunity, and certainly in the community of believers, it should not be hard to stand and say, I have believed in Christ as my Savior. Because unlike the unsaved world, when you say that here, we're going to go, yeah! If the angels in heaven are rejoicing, they're better be rejoicing than this church or you're going to hear it from me. One of the chief means of confessing Christ is baptism. Jesus commands us to be baptized in large part, if not in whole, because he wants us to publicly identify ourselves with him. He commanded that men become disciples and be baptized to show their faith and their followership. And that is one of the chief means of, of, of confession. Secondly, if there is a decision, there will also be concern for others. This woman not only went to tell them what had happened to her, but to essentially get them involved and to bring them back. All of a sudden, she didn't care about her water pot anymore. She left the water pot and ran to say, hey, something more important's going on here. <clears throat> Remember when we first started talking about this woman several weeks ago, we said it's noontime and she's coming out to the well. One of the things I didn't tell you is there are wells closer to her town. She probably had to walk for 45 minutes to get to this well. And our, our surmising, which I think is accurate, is that she came out in the heat of the day to a well far away from town because she didn't want to be around the other women in town. She didn't want to be around the, uh, anybody from town because they were always, you know, talking behind her back and, you know, pointing at her and look at that wicked woman. Now, what happens when she comes to Christ? She runs back to town. She goes, hey, everybody, I got some news for you here. Because she wants them to know what she's ha found. From 1 Corinthians 15 the Apostle Paul had given his own testimony. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and you believed. Why was the Apostle Paul such a great missionary? 
because he was so glad to have his sin forgiven and to be on his way to heaven. He just said, man, I got to tell everybody about this. He cared for people. Well, I have great news. No, I didn't just save a bunch of money on my car insurance. (laughs) Well, the way that's going to happen is if I get older cars than what I currently have. (laughs) The great news is we get to help people know Jesus. And man, that's a privilege. I have a couple of new friends that I'm praying for and witnessing to about Jesus. How about you? Let's pray together. Father, help us to just appreciate what we have and to, and to see the needs in people's hearts so much that we just share Christ with them. We, we witness about our life and we tell them the truth from your word. And, and Father, we just pray that you'll give us the, the joy of seeing some of those people come to faith in Christ. Father, I don't know the hearts of the people that are here today. and There may even be some people who I, I assume know you, but they really don't. They've really never put their faith in you. They've never been honest with you. They've never looked you right in the face and said, I am a sinner. I need you. Father, help them to believe today. Before I close my prayer today, I I want you to know that I'm not even going to look to see if you raise a hand or do anything else. But I'm just going to say, what about you today? Have you believed in Christ? Was there that day, that moment of decision in your life? If not, would you do it now? Would you just, just, uh, in your thoughts, look up to heaven and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need you to give me that living water in life, and I need you to give me heaven in, in, in my future. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And I thank you for the gift of salvation. And if you prayed that prayer today, I want to ask you to come tell me about it after church. I want you to confess Christ. Don't fool around. Don't be a secret agent Christian. God doesn't need any of those. This isn't a rack. You need to step up. And if God has really changed your heart, that should be a joy for you. Heavenly Father, do your work today. Do your work in those of us that know you so that we might share more freely. Do your work in those who don't know you and help them come to faith in Christ. I pray in his name, amen. Let's turn our hymn books, please, to number 431.